Hello, this is episode 264 of the Global Psychology Podcast. I'm Nisha Riley. I'm going to call this podcast my Black Soldiery. I don't want to call it the John Lewis Podcast, which is what it's really about. It's about a year of reflection after his passing, which was a huge event for me. It was almost a sort of a spiritual awakening, some of which I'm going to talk about here and some of which I'm not. It's written up on my Patreon for those who are really nosy. I jumped off a cliff when I started talking about black writers in particular, what they meant for me. That podcast just over a year ago was a huge defining moment for me. It was very much my soul on the platter for everyone else to pick their way through. And though I'm quite used to doing that in my writing, it was a big deal for me to do it in my podcast. And as one person said of that podcast, this isn't about black writers, it's about your soul, it's about your work, it's about you, it's about the deepest parts of yourself that you've been talking to those closest to you about now for a number of years. And it was hugely exposing to do that. And it was difficult to navigate as well, because it was a very difficult time. There was so much that I needed to reflect on. And it was the sort of make or break sense as well for those who became closer to me and those who didn't. The chances are that my ancestors that I'm so drawn to here that I've been doing such, so much research on probably weren't white either. But that doesn't mean they haven't made mistakes as well. It's taken me a year to sort of piece this journey together. And I don't even know if it's correct etiquette to say to someone that you feel like you have a black soul. And in fact, the first time that I ever said that out loud a number of years ago, they kind of said, oh, you can't say that. So I I don't even know if I can say it. But everything that speaks to the deepest crevices of my soul, the parts that are hidden inside, those are always black writers in particular who write for humanity because they, they love humanity unconditionally so. And it's not just one person or somebody I found a number of years ago. It's a journey that continues over and over. And so currently it's Octavia Butler who's speaking to parts of myself that I've never really found anyone else on the same page, quite literally, about. And I take such inspiration and I take such comfort always from their their viewpoint and the space in which they work from, which is a very unique feeling and so much so that it, since I started this journey, it makes everything else just seem a little bit sort of duller and lack a little bit of depth and I don't have the same connection to it. There's a deep comfort for me in reading people who have the same values and qualities. And I think what's been really interesting for me this year is that the more that I started to talk about that and the more that I started to write it and the more that I've in particular started to share that with my own sort of tribe of people, the more that I've begun to see that we do naturally that I never questioned. And you have a choice every day in how you meet anybody who crosses your path. You have a choice to bring out the best in someone. You have a choice to really see people. 
you have a choice in even people who come into your home to to do odd jobs for you and to to maybe to paint your home or the people who serve you in the shop or who cuts your hair you, you have a a way of being with those people that they can be their truest selves with you and that you can value them and see them and empower them to talk when maybe they haven't talked before. You have a choice in whether you make people feel good about themselves or not. And it's only now that myself and my tribe start to swap stories and we see what we take for granted about ourselves. I write to build people back to their core self and to be in my world to be part of my life, I have one very simple requirement, and that is that you get out of bed every day for something beyond yourself. And you bring out the best in everyone you meet. And I've taken that so much for granted in my life, that that is my way of traveling through the world. And so I'm fortunate enough to know other people who do that too. And I'm fortunate enough at times to have had a building and to have employed a whole teaching team who did that. And there was this interesting moment this year where someone shared a, fo a photo on, on social media and it invoked so much in me. The person that they were sharing the photograph of um, was a black woman who had worked for their family for a lot of years. And she was standing there for this photo shoot, kind of like a prized turkey. And there was a caption underneath validating her character and saying that she only needed a few more hours work at the moment, you know, that during, during COVID, that she was stretched and needed, needed some more work. And it was so much about this photo that upset me because I hated the pose. I hated the fact that she, her character had to be validated by somebody. I was thinking about the people in particular who were in exceptionally comfortable position and that if she only needed a few more hours work, that meant that she only needed the hours that she was being paid to be raised slightly more or for them to find slightly more work for her. You know, if that was a sense of her pride. And then... I was thinking about it in terms of my own family and when someone briefly worked in our home and was from Eastern Europe and had come to Ireland and as her English improved over the weeks and her confidence and she got to know us, she turned up with her certificates, her, her college certificates and started to ask, you know, did she need to start at the very basic level in a, in a course that she was interested in doing, a business course, or did we feel that she'd be able to go up a few stages, or how should she navigate this and what should she do? We gave her some advice and a lot of encouragement, and obviously she didn't need to start at the bottom rung because she, she already had very good qualifications. And so she went and did a very, very short amount of time in college, and she's also still on my social media, and she has a very good job now in Dublin. Um, she's very happily married. She has a beautiful child. And her life is totally transformed, and she's no longer, you know, cleaning anybody's toilets. And I was looking at this and thinking, well, if this person has worked for your family for all these years, you know, 
why haven't you empowered her to do something better with her life? Why does her life still look the same as it did when she started working for the generation before you? And it's those kind of choices that we make. It's those ways that we see people. And it's those sort of stories that I swap with my friends. And I think the part of... There's so much about, about John Lewis, about reading his words and about his work, about his journey. There, there's so many different aspects I could talk about. But I was really struck at his funeral by one of his office staff speaking and her describing the sort of people who had come into his office and how nobody ever really left and how he effectively mentored people and how they came from such diverse backgrounds and he saw so much in them and there was a kind of a joke and occasionally he would employ someone who had studied political science. And I, I had to giggle because occasionally I employed people who were teachers. But I very much collected people in the same way from very diverse backgrounds and passions and tried to mentor people to go on and excel in their fields. And it was just such a synergy for me in what was being described and what I have tried to create for anybody who has thought for me, however fleeting that has been in their own journey, in their own career. And there's such an aspect where he was so aware that you couldn't work from a place of anger, that you had to acknowledge pain. There was such a sense with him that he was a student of other teachers who grew much bigger and much more authentic in the teachings than the teachers. And that's another really core topic for me. I avoided the person who thought me to read ironically in a bookshop very recently because having helped me to read my first book they then simultaneously told me that I, I wouldn't be able to do well in education and so I find it very hard to forget that and, and to be around them because I still find them very condescending so there's this whole idea of a student growing bigger than the teacher which feels really significant to me. And I really see him as a man who grew much bigger than many of his teachers, but in a very quiet way. And I think he seemed to be able to meet white people in equality. And that's a big aspect for me. I think oh, a year ago, I was very gullible, naive, stupid, to not understand that that's such a difficult concept. And in many ways, I realize that it doesn't matter if we're talking about race, premature babies, or Down syndrome. It's our assumptions which get in the way, our measure of success from our own materialistic gain. We have all these benchmarks we want people to rise to and to meet. And there is a big sense of him talking about power, how for, he quotes Newton's equation, which I've spoken about before, where for every gain, there's an equal and opposite force. And I think this is one of the aspects that I've most come to think differently about a year on. Because if, the, if no one has power, there's no equation to balance. 
There's no equal and opposite force. And I think if you truly see people and you truly see people's abilities and you don't apply benchmarks or you don't apply assumptions or you don't apply what is doing well. And I do this repeatedly with people who collect all sorts of labels in the education system. So there are lots of ways that we box and contain people. It's not just in terms of race or culture. We're inclined to look at people as either being us or being them. And this is what I've noticed as I speak to my own close friends that I sort of call the tribe at this point. We don't do that. We see people as individuals and we see races as having qualities in the way that I see a place that black writers work from that speaks to me so deeply. That's a quality of a race rather than a difference of an individual. I took my vision of the world for granted. I took those close to me for granted in their difference. I know why I don't fit into humanity a year later. I wrote earlier today that I sometimes feel that humanity is the sum of our weaknesses. But I was so enthusiastic that there would be somewhere for me to belong. That, that was the sense I had a year ago. And the repeated message that I've heard is that a white person always wants to take their power away. And I can't even fathom this as I... I I want everyone to be secure, just like my friends. You know, it, it doesn't matter whether they're making coffee for you or it, it doesn't matter what, what way or what your reason for interacting with someone. You have a choice when they hand you the cup of coffee to look at it and go, you know, oh, this looks really good. And, and to make someone feel like as if they've done something well rather than take them for granted. And so I feel as if I was blinded by my enthusiasm and my inability to see the world as most people seem to be traveling through it yet again. And it's as if I need to go back and rewrite the definition of power in my books. Power being secure. It's not having a need from another. It's a game changer when you don't have needs. And as in before, I didn't see that my definition of hate is a dislike of things. I never realized for others, hate always came with a projection and an outward reaction. I remember having this conversation in another book that I was writing with, with someone who was reading it. I was like, I didn't understand that hate equated to that for other people. For me, it's just a really strong dislike when I'm less likely to verbalize in many ways. I, I don't feel like I've done enough for John Lewis yet, but I have a feeling that I'll be saying the same thing in 50 years if I'm still here. I know that I don't ever feel like I do enough or make enough of a difference. I've learned in the last year that I really need my tribe to value me when no one else can. I really need them to see me and to, to show me that gap. I've grown to value what I see in them so much because it's what I take for granted in myself.